Welcome and a big hello to you. This is Hear Her Sports, and I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery. We are still on our annual summer break, and again, I'm so happy to have this opportunity to share with you another terrific women's sporty podcast. It's been really fun this past year to partner with a bunch of fantastic women in the sports and podcast space. I've loved expanding my community, even if only digitally, during these weird times. One of these days we all may meet in the real world, and wouldn't that be nice? This week I'm highlighting the podcast Keeping Track, co-hosted by track superstars and superwomen Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin Magedigan-Dumas. The three of them gather together by phone and talk sports like old friends they are, and also interview other outstanding women in sport. Because of their background, they focus on women from the running and track and field worlds, but they don't stop there. They've talked to coaches, leaders in the running industry, business owners in the sport, and of course, athletes. Like all the podcasts I love, they offer a platform for women to share their stories more widely. What I love about keeping track is the rapport between the hosts, who are obviously friends. It feels like being part of an awesome best friends chat, and those chats are meaty. They address important issues in sport before they start the main interview. All of it is a great insider scoop on things. I picked this particular episode with Dalila Muhammad in part because of what an incredible decorated runner she is. 2021 Olympic silver medalist, 2019 world champion, 2017 world silver medalist, 2016 Olympic champion, 2013 world silver medalist. I also picked it because of her story of training and improving remarkably, her discussion of the mental component of running, and how outspoken she's been about racism and sexism in sport. The conversation between the hosts prior is terrific at giving context to the time that this was recorded about a year ago, media representation, marketability, and sponsorship, and an often unheard athlete perspective on the Olympics. Find all the Keeping Track episodes with transcripts and show notes on the website, keeping-track.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player so you know when every new episode drops. And now, please enjoy this Keeping Track episode with Dalila Muhammad. And you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Keeping Track. This is our season-ending episode, and we'll regroup and talk to you again in September. Today, we talk to Dalila Muhammad, 400 Hurdles world record holder, Olympic champ, and world championship gold medalist, among other accolades. We talked to Dalila about her start in running, her ties to distance running, her amazing progression in the event, what kept her in the sport, and how she's handling this pandemic. We also talked to her about her mental approach to her seasons, like what her power words are, as well as representation and fighting for your value in track and field as a Muslim woman of color. Thanks for keeping track. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. Here we are with our season finale episode. 
Um, hey, Ro. Hey, Alicia. How you ladies doing? Hey, hey. Ro's about to give birth, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing the pregnancy with me, guys. <laughs> We've had two babies on this season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two That's babies. so incredible. Is today your due date, Ro? Um, a few days, a few days. So I, I thought I had this impression that it's going to go early, but there's nothing happening. So you, did you have um, your first two? Early? Um, um, not really, but just kind of right around or a couple of days ahead or uh, back or forth or whatever. So I always kind of think it's an estimate, right? The, yeah. the, the actual date is like really a few week period that it could be any time. So <laughs> I just don't want to book anything past today <laughs> now it's called even even this podcast could get a surprise <laughs> in the middle of it no, no, like, no. I hope your baby doesn't come that quick that would be very very record well it's kind of crazy that it is um it's August I think that that's just insane it just feels like what happened <laughs> I know. Um, just to wake up and it's eight months into 2020. Yeah. Um, and I have a almost six month old, and you it, like didn't even let anybody know you're pregnant, and now you're a baby's you, and all of this has been within like the confines of everyone's homes, more not, or less. You know, we it's first crazy. the first episode, Lisa, you were kind of like, I'm pregnant. So you told us <laughs> you started the train like the very first episode. Uh oh. <laughs> And I'm then, not going to say anything about anything else, but no, we just know, we started. There's, a, there's one individual. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, ladies, what do you think? We've been doing this since October. Mm-hmm. We've been having babies, living life, running races. But what do you? What do you? Have you reflected on season one? Do you, Do either of you have like favorite moments or favorite episodes or any? I think, yeah, I think it's kind of funny because I just remember when we were doing this, Molly and I were having this conversation when we first started and I was like, Molly, I can't take on another thing. <laughs> and I'm like, here I am. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's easy. We're just going to, it's like, we just like got this train up. Like I'm on this train. It's great. Um, but you know, like, it, but it's interesting because it's something that we wanted to do. We were both like, okay, let's do this thing. Um, but it was just, it's just funny because there's just like this. Ah, I want to do it, but it's this great time. I've got all this stuff going on. And it turns out, as is with everything in life, there's like never a good time for something good. You can't really like plan things like that. And I'm just so happy that I um I don't know, kind of made room for it, even in the weirdest way that it it happened. Um I feel like that's what's great about podcasts though. Like we aren't on TV. Like it we can kind of just be in our living room with some headphones and a computer. And it's a great outlet for whatever message or storytelling or um, like light shining we want to do. You can just kind of mm-hmm. do it. So you can kind of yeah. wedge it in your life as you need to a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is there's topics that we could not um, let go any further, you know, like we would have missed all of this, these important conversations, with all these um, incredible people as they were happening if we would have like been like oh it's not gonna work this year um so yeah you're so mm-hmm. right it's that's the good thing about podcasts the thing that's funny is 
you know, when we talk about reflecting on the season and, you know, we're like, oh, how do we make our sound quality better with it morphing into our lives this way? It's not like we can actually do anything different besides have headphones and a computer. <laughs> Never got any better. <laughs> we yeah, were yeah, like, sorry, guys. We want to bring gonna... you guys. Yeah, we want to bring you guys uh, conversations that matter and that we think, you know, the everybody needs to hear. And a lot of that is a, I just finished a run. I just gave birth. I'm about to give birth. I just wrote a book. I'm hosting <laughs> a local race. And I'm putting my headphones on really quick to talk to you guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. If yeah, only we, we were professional we'll podcasters. Yeah, yeah, we will work on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, I think yeah. it's amazing that, like, we, you know, started with Nia Ali, world champion. We are finishing with Delilah Muhammad, world champion. Like, I'm, as a sports fan, like, as a track nerd, I am just, like, so excited <laughs> about these conversations. Um, and yet there's, like, so much more than just the, you know, oh, who ran fastest? You know, there's, like, so much depth to everyone's story. And I'm really loving, you know, having this platform to kind of explore these some of these issues that don't, you know, haven't been represented or haven't gotten the discussion in the running world that I feel like they deserve. So it's just exciting for me personally. Yeah. What would you say your favorite episode was, Ro? I don't know. I don't know. It's I like I every after every guest, I'm like, oh my god, I love that person. And I know <laughs> it sounds like I don't know how to say the word hyperbole or whatever it is. Um, I really do love when, you know, finishing the conversations. I'm like, where, where, the time is up. What? I need to ask them more questions. So it's really hard to pick a favorites, but I'm just, you know, there's, when I look through the episodes, you know, we had Shalane and we have Emma Cobra and Lindsay Krause is like the second person we had on after like the big one, the biggest news stories of the year last year with, and Mary Kane and um, Dawn Harper is always just her story, her Cinderella story just hasn't left me. And then, you know, talking to Alphine and um, going into CIM. Uh, and talking to um, Oz. Yeah, that was our live show attempt. <laughs> we'll try that again, maybe next season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We can start planning it right now. Uh, <laughs> um, Agreed. Yeah, I, yeah, and it's it's exactly what Rose kind of alluding to. It's I'm terrible with favorites. We I we I shared that on the Alley on the Run show. So to pick like a favorite, I couldn't really, I mean, I, we had so many great conversations and for me, I like asking the questions that everybody's dying to ask, but like, maybe like, should I ask this question? So that's been great. Love that. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, great. Just to kind of like pull that, that stuff out and um, kind of chop down the illusion of what everybody assumes is happening or has happened and how, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's what I mean because I know that about a lot of my closer friends stories that there's so many ins and outs I'm like why don't you share that oh my gosh if people only knew and so um, I know you asked a specific question about favorites but both Ro and I are doing a terrible job because <laughs> yeah the my favorite is all of them <laughs> yeah. Yeah. very diplomatic answers I'd say there's definitely been some I, I'm kind of the same where it's hard to pick a favorite but some that are like more surprising like you would think the podcast would go one way and instead 
like it goes another way that's really illuminating or powerful. Like I, when we were talking to Alfie and she was talking a little bit about what it's like at home for women in her region of Kenya, or um, we were talking to Shalane. I loved how Alicia asked what she thought about Nike because Nike's, it's like such an awkward question, but I thought it was a really great answer and a really great question. So there's little moments like that where you're like, oh, I'm so glad that came to light. Like, and Don Harper's whole story, I feel like was like that where you're like, I mean, we kind of knew the story, but I feel like the reaction from the public was like, oh, I did not know that's how that was going, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely some some twists and turns that were really um, impactful. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what yeah. you ladies think about um, who we just talked to, Delila Muhammad, superstar, world record holder, Olympic gold medalist, and world champion? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, there you go. That's what we thought of her. Um, I think, again, it's like this thing of accolades that we, like, a lot of people get check marks if they're great people or not, you know? Um but I think what I loved about Delilah is just her sharing, you know, her mental journey in the sport and how it took her from, you know, and this is what I think about sports. I think in general, you know, when people look at athletes, I think that it is really important. This is the purpose of this podcast in a lot of ways is to kind of like dig a little bit deeper as to like where the person has been and where you see them now. It isn't so, you know, cookie cutter of how everybody gets to a, a certain place. And for Delilah to just, you know, note that there was, um, she had like a mental mind transformation, obviously mental mind, whatever, let's be as redundant as possible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when it came to her not making the Olympic team at all, like not even placing in the final in 2012 to winning the gold medal in 2016, um, not making it's, the team, though. Not even making the team. Right. Not even making the team. But she didn't even make the final in 2012 for trials. For trials. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Didn't she Thanks say she her. placed, like, did she Top say 50th? 50th? Top 50th. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Yeah. So, like, not even a contender in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And just that <laughs> journey of yeah. even when her talking about her childhood and being like, ah, oh, I just wasn't really fast for that. And then all of a sudden, it kind of clicked. Uh, yeah. It's like... Yeah. I'd love to actually watch that story. Um, too bad we can't get in a time machine and we'll actually physically watch that story and see what that actually looked like. Because sometimes people think they aren't something when they're like, actually, you're pretty good the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Perspective. They're like, no, I yeah. wasn't. They're like, no, yeah. you had you had the sparkles of greatness in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm still curious, actually, you know, that she like could go from that, like, barely breaking top 50 at the trials and, no, and kind of right, actually signing something that said that she wasn't going to make the team, which is kind of a psychological kind of component of it that woke her up to the fact that, wow, she wasn't going to make this team. And then to be able to transform in four years to not just make the team, but become Olympic champion. It's like, mm-hmm. how? Like, and the best that ever in, yeah. the, mm-hmm. in the history mm-hmm. of the world. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Two, like two times over, three times over. How many times did she break her own record? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so that's incredible. I want people to listen. There's so much more depth, um, especially with, um, you know, everything that people are recognizing has been happening in America for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't want to give away the entire um, podcast, but I, I really, really appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. And even on that though, like we, we kind of talked about um, a little bit about um, 
you know, why isn't she the superstar name that, you know, uh, she has all the accolades, she actually is a model, and like, what, what, what else, you know, what else is, you know, why isn't, why doesn't everyone know who she is? Um, and we kind of explored a little bit about that, and um, I thought it was interesting, I don't know if you guys have watched Michael Phelps' The Weight of Gold yet, but um, Lolo Jones was featured on that again, and um and she talks about, you know, how she was kind of put in the spotlight and feels like she's kind of been kind of pushed aside now for Sydney McLaughlin. So these things that, you know, we kind of beat around a little bit on the podcast, talking to Dawn or talking to Delilah, um, they're actually really real and like very tangible. And like Lolo has benefited in, in some way. Like there is, a, there is another factor that we kind of all see but it's hard to articulate how it happens why it happens why she's not getting the spotlight so I think it's it's was interesting for me to see Lolo kind of admit to that what did what did you see think of that Molly yeah I watched it too she was very blunt with it and it was it was interesting because like we said Lolo benefits from that too but it's not even to do with the athlete like I would never hold it against the athlete who's getting held up it's like we said it's the system it's the Mm -hmm. way that marketing is done for around sports around our in Olympians mm-hmm. yeah it's the way NBC picks like four people and they're your Olympians for 20 years and they don't talk to anyone else <laughs> like okay Bodie Miller again love the guy but like can we please talk to Delilah <laughs> so yeah um yeah so it's that's kind of what we were trying to like bring to light yeah, yeah. and I I haven't finished um the weight of gold because three kids <laughs> <laughs> but we've started it just to kind of Mm. myself in this conversation it's a great topic, it's a really uh, topic. no and totally yeah. I mean I'm interested I'm totally interested because I think I mean again you guys watched the entire thing but I just think this identity and this is again when I say I, I say this all the time I say I don't identify as one thing because I've seen the weight Very that vulnerable. people have you know have tried to walk away from after they've made everything about them being a runner they've made everything about them being mm-hmm. whatever they Agency. are some sort of yeah you know and I'm that's terrifying to me well and, in and our even sport if, you're rewarded for that too you know right. that, that's part of what gets you better 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 and then you hit a point where you're like oh no like <laughs> when they're kind of required yeah it's yeah. kind of required. Yeah. 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 right but even just like from a cultural standpoint you know in running culture Everybody, you know, yeah, does applaud you for just being like, oh, you know, your clock, your time, you do all these weird runner things. You do, That's all you do, right? And I've just always been like, I am running so far away from that because it's just, it's kind of like a deadly combo. Mm-hmm. You know, who are you after this? And then you search for a really long time. Nothing else that you've added to your plate would equate to anything that um, is happiness for you unless you are able to be this yeah, person pursuing an Olympic team or gold. But even that happens to me all the time in mm-hmm. this state. It's like, you know, I, it feels like nobody cared for like the last two years to have any other conversation with me besides if I was going to go for another Olympic team. And that just, mm-hmm. it just, it, it mm-hmm. does sear in a way. It's like, I'm actually working on these other really cool things I really do like. Yeah. Um, that's something that, that could never happen. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, again, I don't think people recognize how heavy that weight is when you keep mm-hmm. only caring about that thing yeah. for that person. And where can they, where do they go after that when you don't care about anything else you never have? I did yeah. that with Lou's family. They would always be like, oh, did you run here? You know, or like some <laughs> sort of, I have to do that voice. It's just like, you know, like, um, and it's just, 
is an internal eye roll, and you're like, huh? and then there's sometimes where you're like, actually, I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do that. Yeah. But my point Stereotype is, true. Yeah. I had to get to a point where I could share with them, like, hey, guys, I really want, we're family. I want to be able to talk to you about so many other things. And a lot of times when I come back to my family, I want, this is like a place first, like, a, to be a, a safe haven where I don't want to feel the pressure and the weight of what everybody expects for my running that I already love doing to do mm-hmm. for them. So um, it's it's the shadow side of this kind of like tunnel vision, like riding this wave of like an Olympic dream or like anything like that. People are like, oh, great. And you feel good kind of going towards that that energetically, like riding that out. But the natural cycle, there is a crash of that. And I think people are not looking at that and recognizing that that actually is part of the cycle. Mm -hmm. And and when they talk about in in the in the documentary that this is kind of like side effects of being an Olympian or successful Olympian it's like okay if everyone knows that and they're still buying into it there's a lot of things we can do to stop that crash being so scary for people so vulnerable for people totally Um, and you know we just kind of have to call that out a bit more like it's not just riding it one way (laughs) there is right kind of kind of this is also a lot of what I, I think I, I tried to talk about in terms of like celebrating the whole person. When we look at mm-hmm. sponsorships and them not just only caring about the performance aspect. Yes, yeah. we understand this is part of the job. Right. But then the other things like how else can we support you to like do things that you want to do when this is all said and done. And sometimes mm-hmm. it can come all crashing down for someone who they mm-hmm. didn't expect for their career to end next, mm-hmm. you know, week if they mm-hmm. have, um, some sort of you know, underlying disease, a yeah. family issue comes into play, a career-ending injury. There are so many things that can actually happen and have happened to people. Mm. And that's even that weight too. Like now who am I and what do I do? Because I was hoping that I was going to have this, this space of time. Um, hopefully this is not a situation anybody runs into ever again. I would like to also start a family. Oh, well, if you want to do that, that's also shelf life. Like Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just really think what companies can do is really do a better job of supporting the whole person mm-hmm. and um, allowing there to be the space for ebbs and flows and room for other endeavors that they, that athletes yeah. um, and I think are it, looking to pursue. Yeah, and the Olympic movement in general, or even the in national Olympic committees, right? I've, I've had like a lot of kind of, done a lot of work with the Irish Olympic Committee around that, and they're doing a lot around that with this kind of transition after co- after college, after the Olympics and mm-hmm. support career services and things like that. Um, but I do, you do see that, you know, you feel like, oh, wow, my values in, in running this like lap as fast as I can versus, you know, I am like a whole person and I have value outside of that. And, um, and that the more we can support, broaden people's identity and help athletes kind of see that what they do is and who they are, then it's like, wow, they're in a lot more of a secure place. So look, this is a bigger topic and I can't wait to start diving into it a little bit more in season right. two. Yeah. <laughs> um, very close to my heart. And mental health is a huge thing that obviously I work in um, and with athletics in general. So I do want to bring this topic up again in season two and um, go towards it a lot more. Um, but one thing on that, uh, one thing, other thing in that um, documentary really quickly was that there was such a lack of representation. We're talking about how important diversity is and how race matters. 
and that 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 documentary failed a lot in that in that failed badly and so i have not seen the response from people to who watched it but i have a response on that myself that i can't wait to share because i i, I thought it was absolutely lacking in diversity and i think that's shocking at this point totally yeah I agree it was was a great topic and people like Michael Phelps lend a lot of weight to it but you definitely could have talked to a variety of other people and um it it was like I said the Olympic perennial faces of uh poster chosen chosen five (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. and this was yeah they're having mental health issues right and they've been had lucrative careers imagine people who haven't had the spotlight for people who have had medals stolen from them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. that's a whole other side to it. <laughs> right? Crazy yeah. other I think side it could have there could it could have been deeper than what they did, but it was still good a good topic. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll let you guys okay. check out Delilah's interview. I really quick wanted to direct people to our um, newest merchandise, the visors on the website. <laughs> check Love them out. Mine. We can't stop, won't stop with merchandise, and the proceeds for for these visors will go to Track Girls. That's with a Z, um, and they are run by Michelle Lewis-Freeman, an Olympian uh, wellness coach and relay coach for Team USA, and Jennifer Forrester. Um, it's an educational and community program. They do things like camps um, and empowerment workshops for girls, and they are about sisterhood, empowerment, and track and field, so it's a great cause. Go get your visor and support track girls. Absolutely, and rock that style, visor style. (laughs) (laughs) I love mine, so. Anyways, thank you guys for listening this season, and we will be back in the autumn and cannot wait. I'm excited. I'm buzzing, so. um, Yeah, thank you, and (laughs) and welcome any feedback you might have, and also, you know, if you guys have ideas for topics or guests, I mean, we we haven't gotten close to the end of our list yet, but we always love to hear from you guys. And um, yeah, if you have anything that we we're not going towards that we think we should be, we are all ears. So bring it on. Have a great rest of summer, ladies. Like, rate, and subscribe. <laughs> Thanks for keeping track. Thanks for keeping track. Thank you. Bye. everyone welcome back to keeping track we're here with our guest today Dalila Muhammad Dalila you might you might know her as last year's world champion and she twice last year set the world record in the 400 hurdles Um, she's also the USA champ from 2013 2016 and 2017 and she has 2013 and 2017 silver at Worlds, and she has the Olympic gold medal from 2016. So we have a pretty Whoa. legit guest on today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. She's all right. Yeah. <laughs> world thank Woman so of the Year. Yeah, World Woman Athlete of the Year in 2019. So that just kind of says it all right there, right? Yeah. That's crazy. I think, you know, I was, well, I've been running for so long, and even when I got that, I'm like, how did I get here? Like, how did I end up in this position? So definitely was an amazing year. Um, definitely a lot of accomplishments made. Um, yeah, it was a good year. Yeah. Let's you- talk about that. You, you just mentioned, you know, you're not even sure how you got here. How did you get your start in the sport? Well, I, well, I started running when I was seven years old, and my first coach, my 
um, yeah, my like club coach, he just, he would see me running in the neighborhood and he just like would beg my mom, he like begged my mom for months for me to join the track team. And I, one day she said yes, one day she, she took me down there and I've been running ever since. So what were um, you training for when you were running, when you were younger, were you just doing it for fun? Yeah, I was just doing it for fun. I just loved running. I loved racing. I was, you know, like just street races in the neighborhood where race all the boys would win um, until I joined the track team. And then I was like in last place. But because <laughs> I, when I was younger, I did distance. So um, he kind of oh, thought, you know, I wasn't fast enough to kind of be a sprinter. So I did um, cross country 15, 800, but really like more 15 runner. Wow, that's a, I did not know that. Yeah. So. When did you find your crossover from distance to sprints? And what was like the first sprint that like that you ended up doing? I remember one year, honestly, I just got a lot faster. That's literally what happened. I was like slow and then one year it just like clicked for me and all, all of a sudden I can sprint. Um, <laughs> and I did the 100 and 200 at like JO's. Like I made it to like the JOs and the one and two. I think I got eighth place though. So I made it to the final, but I got eighth in both of those races. But I think I was about 12 years old, like, like maybe 13. Um, and what, and I just never did distance again after that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Wait, me, so where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Queens, New York. Okay. Oh, Queens, baby. Yeah, Flushing Hospital is where I was born. Oh, um, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I don't get to claim it as hard because I, you know, moved before grade school, so. Got it. You know. Um, I didn't know that. I think there's no interest <laughs> in yourself and Nia Ali about kind of ran good, like, distance times when you were kids. Like, you guys are, like, obviously you could do any event. Yeah, so Nia, I always knew her actually growing up. We never, I don't think we were ever like really friends or really met, but we, I definitely always knew of her because she was like a little bit older than me. And I definitely just watched her like, you know, at Colgate Games and at the Armory. So I think she didn't even really remember me, but when we got to USC, but I remembered her. Uh, For everyone that's wondering, uh, JO's is Junior Olympics, by the way. So yeah. what is the qualification standards for Junior Olympics? Do you remember? Yeah. I do not. I think you just have to like maybe place in your region. Like yeah. maybe it's like a top three thing in your region. Um, yeah. and you can qualify. It could be even, I don't even know though. It's something regionals and then you can go to junior Olympics. Don't quite remember. Yeah. That's when your parents just like bust you around everywhere. So you're like, yeah, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> it was such a good time though. Just taking those long bus rides. I remember we took one yes. from New York to um, South Carolina, even North Dakota. Like we were traveling all over the place. That's so fun. That's so Be awesome. part of it. What was the name of your track club there? Nova's Track Club. And they're still running. They still have like really good athletes actually. Okay. Does your do family you, still live in that area? Are you they like, do. Oh, okay, so you can go back there. And yeah, I'm actually planning on going back maybe in a couple of days. So I haven't been home in this whole, during this whole COVID situation. So I'm going to get a chance to kind of go back and see them. Yeah. How, how is training going right now? Like what approach have you been taking? Cause I know when we messaged you, you said you might be doing a meet and then you weren't doing a meet. So like, are you, how are things going? What, what's your strategy? Well, we've been playing it by ear. I think in the very beginning, we were very uncertain and didn't know. And my coach was like, you know what, we got to stay fit. We got to stay fit. And so we were working out hard, but unfortunately, we weren't able to get on a track. So, and for us, running on the grass is very, very different. Obviously, you can't hurt on the grass. So we were kind of 
having an, a, an extremely extended fall training, I guess you can call it, um, just running on the grass. And we did that for months, actually. And then finally, maybe like a week, maybe like two weeks, yeah, two weeks ago, we finally got on the track. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, my God. So, and at that point, we pretty much were kind of decided that at that point, they already had the decision to, like, the meets were, many of the meets were canceled. So we just made the decision to kind of end our season. So I did do a couple of, like, well, meets, but a, a really a training session down at in Dallas, Texas last week. And then I'm, and now I'm done. Wow. So I'm going to take this month off and and get ready for start preparing for next year nice. yes oh my gosh tokyo 2021 who would have ever <laughs> thought that, that was going to be what we were saying now right I know. um there are a couple of things i wanted to just like really talk to you about i think mindset is a really big thing um you know especially speaking amongst um speaking about the coronavirus and this huge curveball you had where you've got to uh now pivot something that you've been training for that already takes a lot of mind like melting it takes a lot of um a lot of energy from the mental capacity and mental side of things how have you been able to, to just manage all of the mental side of um of your training and then you know that pivot from the goal being now to now moving from a year before that and then also can you talk a little bit about your history from the mental side of things and how you got to be a world champion, an Olympic champion, and all of that, and how it plays into now. Yes, I can. Um, <laughs> a very, very extended question now. Where do I begin? <laughs> but um, I think for me, I definitely started to realize as I, that track was so mental. And I think um, we say that all professional athletes, but I don't think people really even grasp how mental running really is. And I always, I'm always the type of athlete that thinks it's so much more mental than physical. And if you can conquer that mental, then the physical will follow. And so I think for me, I've always kind of had that mindset. Well, not always, but as I became, well, as I progressed as a professional athlete, I started to really reel that in and take advantage of just being like mentally strong and really practice on practicing on being mentally fit. And um, I think ways that I would do that is just try to always turn something that was possibly negative into a positive and or just look at the brighter side of it and really focus on the things that I could kind of change and handle and leave the rest alone. And so I've always, well, not always, I've been practicing that for a while now. So, but even so, when this whole COVID situation hit, it was really tough. I think all of us would just, in my training group, were feeling really unmotivated to, to train. Um, just having that uncertainty, we never have been in this situation before. I don't think anyone knew how to handle it. So it was really, really tough to just kind of getting that mindset and Initially, I think the best thing I could do is just show up every day. And I was just like, you know what? This is all I have. I don't know what the workouts will look like, but step one for me is showing up and this is all I can give you right now. So that's what I'm going to do. And as I did that, then I moved on to a step two, which, you know, okay, let me put some more effort. Let me, you know, hit these workouts a lot harder than um, what I'm doing. I think for me, I, for, I said one day I decided that, um a bad workout for me was going to be only doing what my coach asked so if he said he wanted 30 seconds in the 200s if i only did that for each every one 
that would that would be what I would consider a bad day. And I've kind of lived on that rule. So for me, I use that again for COVID. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm having a lot of bad days right now. But you know what? I'm here. I'm doing what's asked of me. And I'm working towards, I don't know what the future is, but mm-hmm. I know one day we'll, we will have to race again. And once we kind of got over it, I think this, you know, this uncertainty and we started knowing exactly when these dates would be, it started to change for me. And, you know, I, I kind of just took it back to, you know, you know, I knew the Olympics would be in 2021, well, possibly in 2021. And there was this like this whole thing going around, we're going to have five major championships um, back to back to back. And I'm like, you know what, we always did that when we were younger, and no one complained about it. <laughs> you know, the, the competition wasn't, you know, I guess, on that level, but every year there was nationals as a, as a kid, and, and we lived for it, we loved it. So it'll just be back to those days, you know, where we have to get ready for something, you know, every single year. I, I imagine for the rest of my career, unless I run over five years, which I don't really see happening. But um, so, yeah, I've just been kind of changing it into like a more positive outlook on it and just kind of enjoying it. So you're, you're one of those athletes, if your coach gives you a time, that's like the minimum you hit, like you always want to be a little bit under that. Um, what can you tell us a little bit about like, the group that you train with, what women are there, um, and who your coach is, and what it's like at practice? Yeah, I think we have a great group. So my coach is Lawrence Johnson. Everybody calls him Boogie. Um, you guys probably know him by Boogie. And then I train with Brianna Rollins, now Karan Clement, Christy Caslin. Um, we train with a Panama- Panamanian acro- um, athlete, Jonna Woodruff, and I feel like I'm missing somebody. Oh, Jasmine Malone. Yeah, she's new, um, fresh out of college. So a small little group, but I think our dynamic is just really works well. We definitely have um, multiple, we all are hurdlers except for Jasmine, but we all kind of have our own strengths. Like I'm really good at the longer stuff. Brian is really, really fast. So it just kind of works together. I think it's a good dynamic of women and men. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What did Tasty come onto the team? She's been here. So Coach um, Christy's actually been um oh you mean Karan or Karan yeah oh yeah yeah no we all we call Christy Casey but I'm like I hear people say Karan Clement and I'm like oh you mean that Casey (laughs) oh (laughs) no he just came this year so he made that move um yeah he he wanted to do something different so he's been with us all year where are you guys based Los Angeles Okay. I like how in the, the Sports Illustrated article, a really good article that um, was written about you last year, they talked a little bit about your strength workouts. And I feel like it's interesting for the distance runners to read that because you'll do like 12 by 470 or you'll do like a mile time trial in five minutes. And we're like, we know what that means. And we're like, dang, that's really good. (laughs) Like you could run the 800. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, it's so funny because I always like watch like, um, the athletes doing like their uh, their workouts and I mostly watch the distance ones like on YouTube a lot of times they'll post it I'm pretty sure I've watched a couple of yours actually Molly um just like your workouts and I'm always like so fascinated I'm like how are they able to hit these times like 
so much. And I'm like, so that's really where I draw my inspiration from to do these workouts. We could do 400s together. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I don't know. I think I watched you do like maybe Mal repeats. And I'm like, how is she hitting these times? <laughs> but even you, Alicia. So I'm like, that's just, I'm always like so impressed by that. So I definitely try to incorporate that into my training and just for inspiration. And I'm like, you know, yeah. what, maybe one day I'll get to a little actually faster Mal, but we'll see. Mm. I'd love to see you do, have you done an 800, like a proper 800? Um, not in a race, not in a race in a really long time. Um, yeah. Early on yeah. in this year, I did just, it was like at the end of our workout and I, I hit um, 211 and I remember thinking like, wow, like after all of the things that I did today, I like, I would love to see me like really train for the eight and do mm -hmm. it. But mm -hmm. I think those days are behind me. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I, yeah. um, I, the 400 hurdles. I think you know that Dilla is my favorite event. Um, I love it too. I was yeah. like, yeah, too. 2015, or I don't remember what year it was, when I was down in LA and I had an opportunity to kind of train a little bit with the, not like under the same coaching, but on the same track <laughs> with Dalila and Lashinda. Um, yeah, that was a good time. It was good times. It was good times, but I was so fascinated with what they were doing and I was coming back from pregnancy so I jump in some of their workouts and um I do think that a lot of the systems in the eight and the 400 hurdles are that we need to stress and get better at are this are the same I mean the difference for me is now I've got to figure out how to jump over uh 10 <laughs> obstacles <laughs> in the middle of that um I mean and of course it depends on the type of 800 meter runner you are right um, I think from my perspective, I saw a lot of similarities in some of the work that we would do. So, um, and the same aspect, I would, I like watch some of your guys' workouts and I'll be like, Ooh, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. Oh, they're doing that over, over hurdles. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember. So, I think you did hop in there once over hurdles with us. <laughs> I did. I did a 200 over hurdles. Yeah, the 200. <laughs> she killed it. Yeah. She <laughs> there you go. I did. I did it. It was awesome. But I just was like, oh, I definitely need to work on some technique over here because if I had to go to four meters, I'd probably break my ankle. <laughs> but anyway. Camilla, how fast are you in the flat stuff? Like, what's your fastest 400 non-hurdles? Like? Um, 50.6 is actually my fastest. Oh, wow. I, I ran that last year. So that was like my only four run, really. Wow. Okay. So. And then on the relay, but I don't think that really counts. <laughs> Still, that's like cracking, you know, you're knocking on that sub 50 right there and that as yeah, well. Yeah, I definitely sense. would like to see that. I never really get a chance to run them, so maybe mm -hmm. one day. Exactly. Um, so, um, when we talk about, like, you know, right now we're just having, like, girl chat, I feel like, <laughs> talking yeah. about running a little bit. But I want to just kind of get back to the mental aspect of things because I think that there's something really important that talks about um, and just where we are right now in the world, um, people recognizing the um, importance of saving our mental capacity or doing our best to take care of our mental health. Um, but I want to talk about the current um, state of the world, I guess, with what people are saying. I don't want us to talk about it current because it's always current for, um, mm -hmm. for Black indigenous and people of color but i wanted to just say i loved your what you shared in the sports illustrated article and i don't think that I, I i don't want this time to go by without us um having an opportunity to talk about it um and i think there's something that ties into our mental capacity and our emotion and the things that 
the way that we um, can channel, you know, things that we've gone through into something else. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of projecting a little bit. So let me ask the question. My question to you is, um, one, can you share your Sports Illustrated uh, story with us again? And then can you maybe tell us if there was any, like, emotional component to what you've gone through that also plays into how you pack that into um, your mental work as an athlete? Yeah, I think, well, the sports illustrated, let me, are you referring to like, you know, the one um, uh, back off the, uh, back, what is it, black off the track? Yes. Yes, I'm sorry. Lavilla's been in sports illustrated multiple <laughs> times. I mean, the most <laughs> recent one, um, black off no. the track uh, story that you shared. Yeah, about well, having well, to win, like your only option is winning. We'll yeah. link that too for anyone wanting to read it. It was really good. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think as a, as well, especially as a black athlete, I think you always kind of, it's like this undertone to, to, not to running, but to anything that you do. And it's always something that you kind of want to not be the case. You kind of feel it like, and what I'm talking about is, I think Rye said it best. And when he was just like, it always feels like you have to do more um, to receive less. Like you have to be twice as good to receive half as much. I don't know the exact phrasing that he used, but it was something on that level. And I think that's something we kind of feel as, you know, for me, I felt that as a professional athlete, but it was always something that I kind of wanted to not be the case. It was just like, maybe I'm, maybe I don't know, maybe this is not really the case. Maybe I'm just kind of overlooking it or maybe I'm not seeing things clearly. And I think for me this year, especially, it became very apparent that that was 100% the case. And I'm saying that because I think mm -hmm not to like tweak my own horn, but I've, I've kind of checked all the boxes as a professional yeah. athlete. And when you've Checking kind of out. checked <laughs> all the boxes as a professional athlete and you're still coming up short and you're now you're in meetings with other people or when it comes to doing deals and it's like they're looking at you and they have absolutely nothing to say other than no, like, and there's no explanation given. So when you're in, put in, and I've been put into that situation so many times, but before it was always like, oh, well, you're kind of okay. You're, you're, you're kind of just almost there. It was like kind of that kind of discussion that was being told or, but it was like when I was there, it was still like, no, but um, for, with no explanation given. You took, yeah. made like sponsorships and was like sponsorships like that. and just on like major brand deals or like just in that type of world mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. um, in the sports. And on the track and field side, I think it was just more like the exposure that I was being given or yeah. Yeah. I guess the recognition, yeah. to be quite honest. Yeah, um, we, okay. we've done um, a few episodes, I guess, dealing with representation. And I feel like for someone who set the world record, has an Olympic gold medal, has a world championship gold medal, has other medals, like you should be like on the Wheaties box. You should have 10 <laughs> contracts. You should be on the cover of magazines. And I feel like we have to ask the question of like, why are some people there and some people with the resume aren't there? Yeah. So a lot of it, I think, you know, just in track and field in general, I think as you age in the sport, you're actually not very protected at all, no matter what your race is. And that's certainly an issue that needs to be mm -hmm. changed and it needs to be addressed. Um, we shouldn't see- Patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that is another issue, but you know, and I think so for me, that sense of this not having that exposure that a lot of people thought that I was deserving of, it, it just became more apparent to me of um, the racial aspect of it. 
mm-hmm. and yeah. so and then like the so the story that I told in Sports Illustrated was um you know about a moment before my finals and um I, okay. I, I haven't said his name up until his up until here so I guess I'll just keep it that way but he's just like he says to me someone that I'm very close to says to me that you know you know you have to win this and it was just kind of like put into like you know perspective all the fears that I already felt being like you're this is you're you're validated in feeling the way that you feel mm. um and it and it just it just mm-hmm. bothered me truly because I think you know we all just kind of accepted and it wasn't a lot and I think mostly I think people want to fight it I think a lot of people just don't know how um we all have our own reasons as to why our personal reasons as to why we may stay silent and um about these issues and that moment for me is like I wanted that person to fight for me too but mm-hmm. at the same time I'm I know he has his own reason as to why he can't and he just has to follow these rules that are given to him and mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. literally the end of it and it just was mm-hmm. it just was one of those moments well one you don't want to hear that before you're about mm-hmm. to run a final <laughs> It's actually quite threatening to hear, right? It's like do or die kind of thing. And a lot of people actually crumble under that pressure. But like, thankfully, you. Right. What I'm hearing is it's it. It's like a, a fight or flight, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, a, in most instances, if somebody throws something like that at you right before you're racing um, a very important race that is do or die. Um, it is something that ultimately can crush your spirit. It's something that can mm-hmm. pull the Get energy out of your body. Yeah. But in your life in instance, it is truly do or die. It is like by way of, you know, the means of your upward mobility of what you're going to mm-hmm. be able to afford should you win or lose this race. And I think something I'm going to just say, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dilla. I think one of the hard things about being a black athlete um, is, again, you know, people suspecting you're pulling a race card um, for certain reasons, um, or you know, not getting what you deserve. Dalila, you're facing um, racial injustice as a black athlete. You are facing colorism as a dark black athlete. You are facing ageism as an athlete that is not freshly out of college. Uh, do, do you mind if I um, ask Say my how old age? exactly no, are? of course, yeah. I'm 30. Yeah, so you now you're on the up, you're not the 20s, which ultimately for our men, it's like, woo, we can celebrate them until they are 40 and beyond, you know? But for our women, the, the patriarchy that is up against us is so much validated by the way that we look and what presents as marketable on, Again, we talked about this in our Runner's World article, marketable by whom wants to have us pasted on their wall. Um, And that's just disgusting. Like, you know, that's just what we are facing so terribly in women's sports and it trickles down. And the more layers you add to it, the worse off you are, regardless of your performance and how amazingly beautiful you are in your skin. It's this Mm -hmm. patriarchal American idea of marketability on a woman. Um, and I, 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 I'm saying that because I feel like we need to continue to lift, um, each other up. I want to be able to lift you up in that. And I can sense like we skip around telling those pieces of our story and saying like, oh, well, you know, 
for everybody that's listening, Delilah is, you know, she, we talked about her accolades. She's in the 400 hurdles. She is the, one of the, um, most black athletes, like in terms of the spectrum of shade, um, there. And in America, we tend to glorify the lighter people are, and this is nothing to say with anybody else's performances, but, um, from what I've watched in Delilah racing and continuously putting herself in a position to win and to press forward, it does appear as if um, America is really wanting a, a version of her that is um, more like the American-esque dream, which is wider. And so, um, yeah, it's, correct it's, me if I'm wrong. It kind <laughs> of is similar to the Don Harper, um, yeah. Nelson, Lolo Jones dichotomy with you have Sydney McLaughlin right on your heels, Delilah, but Delilah has the world record and she has the gold, two golds. And so it does seem like the marketing is tipping more towards one person. And I feel like you do have mm -hmm. to ask yourself why, why is it one person over another, you know? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, like we always say, oh, you, you want it to be a meritocracy in sports, and sometimes mm -hmm. it just doesn't look that way, and you have to ask who's in charge and why. <laughs> so I feel like that. I feel yeah. like yeah, Delila, have you ever thought about that? And do you feel that as far as like where the attention flows sometimes? I mean, of course, it's it's just it's one hundred percent obvious. I think you know where the attention flows, and that's a given. Like I don't think there's any discrepancy. Anybody would say anything different. Um. You know, me and Dawn are actually really close. And, you know, just hearing her story, I'm like, this is literally the same story that's being told. And mm -hmm. um, and we have so many similarities. Um, and it's just one of those situations where you're like, how is this able to year after year to continually be the story, to continually be the case? And it feels like no one's doing anything about it. And we can only do so much as athletes to try to make that change. I think for me, that's been my motivation this year. What's been fighting, what I've been fighting so hard for, when you talk about this idea of um, fright or flight, it's like, yeah, that's the option that was given. That's the only option that's been given. So you either show up and you do it or you don't. And, mm -hmm. that's, and then this is the next girl's problem because <laughs> there will be another after me. Um, mm -hmm. And it'll be the same situation. So how can you make this change? So I'm, I'm thankful. I think I've said this in Sports Illustrated too, to just kind of see this change kind of taking place of women just wanting to empower other women and other mm -hmm. people noticing it, um, athletes speaking out on it and trying to make change. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think this, this shouldn't be the case. And I think too often we see that being the case for Black athletes. Um, we obviously, we saw it with Dawn. I think, Alicia, you have felt it as well, and especially just feeling like you have to be the best or you're forgotten about. And sometimes, like, I think it was, I want to make a point too, because you said, you mentioned something about people kind of playing this, like, black card and, like, things like that. And I, you know, I don't want to put out the website, but there's, like, a major track platform, let's just say. And I remember just after I broke the world record, them following me on Instagram. And I know that's, like, whatever. They can follow who they want to follow. But I just kind of had that thought, like, wow, I was the first American to win the Olympic gold. Um, in Rio, I've been on the top of the 400 meter hurdles since then, and now you're following me. And so it took a world record for you to follow me, or to, for me, for you to even notice me. So I think it's like things like that where you're like, no, I'm not. It's not. I'm not crazy. Like yeah. this is not it's something just, that's in my head or a black card that I'm trying to play. Absolutely, that's right. Yeah. And for people that are listening, just to understand, you know, what we are 
talking about is for athletes having this conversation. The reason we talk so much about our visibility is because that ultimately it takes care of our finances. It takes care of how we're able to live. We, this is our nine to five plus some hours. Um, mm -hmm. I think people don't recognize that this is our office. This is our work. This is what we are paid to do. And ultimately we're not, um, you know, we don't get in our cars and we don't drive into a, you know, a, to a cubicle or anything like that. This is our cubicle and this is what we need in order for us to thrive. This is our promotion. Um, mm -hmm. And, yep. you know, the, the barrier that's placed up against us in order that's um, not allowing us to be promoted is only based on our, uh, our appearance and not on our work which mm -hmm. every other job will get promoted based on the work that they present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely. It's like, I, I always think people like, Oh, well, women can get promoted on other things. And it's like, yes, this is true. But when you, you should also like being at the top of your sport should be like a no brainer. It's like, mm -hmm. how would you feel being at the top of your job and being told like for number one, you make a lot less than the person that's, you know spots down from you like so it's just yeah. it's crazy well not to mention who's watching too like you're a representative like at the very top of you know being a black woman a black athlete you're also a muslim woman and a muslim athlete mm -hmm. and for people to see that like it's important for other people like you to see that and mm -hmm. see your success and be encouraged by it because you, you don't see it i mean i know you don't want to like lead with that but it is a part of you as an athlete and um, you don't see a lot of, I feel like Muslim athletes uh, at your level, certainly. And so it's all, it's important to put you more in the forefront, I feel like. Yeah, yeah you know, I definitely think so. It's just for me, I think what's crazy about it is, it's never that I was ashamed of being a Muslim, but I didn't, I never really said it because I didn't feel like I looked the part of a Muslim. And it's like, for me to, even though I know that I've, I've obviously I grew up Muslim, I practice Islam. And for me to feel that way, it's like, even I became somewhat brainwashed as to what I was supposed to look like, what I was supposed to be um, doing and not realizing that the, there's so many women that look like me that are Muslim and that, that probably feel the same way. And it's like, wow, we can like i'm a muslim woman like uh, this and this is me and and just being fully accepting of that so it, it took me some time even to kind of break this stereotypical idea of what a muslim should look like and now i'm like mm -hmm. this is me and i see so many more people um that look like me or just that don't cover up completely that are you know thriving Mm -hmm. Dilla, thank you so much for sharing all of that and really just giving our, our listeners some insight. I think the more we share those stories and, um, you know, help put all of the things that make us us into um, a body that people can see, like, you know, Dalila, all of the things that, that um, are your identifiers are important. And it is important for representation, um, especially when it comes to the the future generations having footsteps to follow and knowing that they um, belong in in these spaces. And this is what we're talking about. This is what we talk about in sport in general. One of the things that I think um, confuses me is also like this idea that there's not enough room for everyone to have an opportunity to succeed, especially in sport. When, it talks, when we talk about marketing, I mean, I feel like the more bodies that we put out there that are doing great things, the better, um, especially 
when we talk in sport and talk about exercise and people wanting to see that and it's motivating for people to see that um it just is is it's absolutely confusing do you think do you see yourself um stepping up against competition obviously being the beast that you are but afterwards being able to encourage and uplift your competitors or do you feel that you know the environment just gets so sticky and stale because of you know how we are pitted up against each other yeah absolutely i think you know we always want to be encouraging to the other athletes i think so you know honestly and i'll just be brutally honest i think i kind of was that kind of athlete like i just had to be the best and that was that for me and just and i think as you get older and as you start doing it more you just know that's just not the case and those things like it just it matters so little bit to be honest and it's just and so me today i'm like i i love to see other women doing well and to just and want to encourage them and feel like it's always our time or i mean it's always someone's time and to embrace it when it's not your time and that that i'm able to do now so we put too much um, energy on just the winner and that being alone um obviously you want the winner to be recognized and celebrated but it's we have to celebrate all the, all the women that are working so hard because honestly yeah. i think we all know how hard it, it is to to run track and field to come to do something that literally hurts and do it every single day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I think you're so right about that. As you get older, you kind of see a little bit different. It doesn't mean that um, I think there's this, people think that it's one or the other. It doesn't mean that you can't also be competitive and yeah, exactly. you know, want to win and rip heads off. But it just also <laughs> means that you can also, you know, be like, that was a great job. Good job you did that instead of like, oh, you know, it wasn't me like you're you suck no i know but i, I feel no, like that's no. like the environment that it's like either or you can't be competitive and uplift yeah. women at the same time and i feel like um, you need to see almost how it's done like i remember coming out of school and being like oh i like how she's like this like i'd look at someone and i'd notice that i'd be like oh this girl like she can do like be a killer on the track off the track she can be your friend like i like that like i remember being like um, like totally that's how you do that and then um i feel like it's harder like i feel like now you see it more publicly and like you see it on social media with some of the women's groups but before i feel like it was something you had to figure out you had to be like well i don't want to do this alone so like how do we do yeah. this together yeah it's almost it's almost fed to you i remember mm -hmm. you know my coach who my who i love but he would just be like, there can only be one queen bee. And I'd be like, no, I really want queen partners. <laughs> I really need more in the hive. I really do. Um, anyway. Lila, can I ask you a tracky, can I ask a tracky question? Maybe I just want to jump in before we run out of time, if that's okay. Um, your race last year, well, a couple of races last year where you broke the world record and then to put it together again at the world championships in Doha, pull off the win, with the world record, even with that kind of threat in your ear of like, you have to do this or else. Um, talk about like, is that like a, was that like a perfect race for you? Like, how do you come out of that and go, yeah, you know, there's still room for improvement there. Like that, you know, like in, in theory, I mean, the 400 hurdles last year, men and women's was just lit. It was amazing. It was so fun as a spectator to watch and, and um, it really took off as an event in 2019. And curious, like, how do you build from that? Like, uh, can you see flaws in that race? Can you like still want to run faster after that? Um, yeah, it's you possible. Know what? 
I'm gonna give like the worst answer because the truth is I don't know. And I think, um, you know, I think 51 is definitely possible. I've said that before and I feel like I've run that time at practice, like just being at that speed or being where I need to be at more so than that race at the eighth hurdle to, to, to run 51 seconds. So I feel like I've done it like multiple times kind of at practice and so, but to, when you do it at race day, it's completely different because there's so many other factors and there's, you're competing now and you're trying to win more so than you're trying to run a time. So um, there was one flaw in the race that I, well, two flaws for sure. The start wasn't really good. Um, my start, I had the slowest reaction in the entire field. Um, so that's some, some time right there. And I had to reach for the eighth hurdle, which um, – I wasn't really expecting because that on that track, especially like it's kind of almost perfect for the 400 hurdles on the Doha track um, in terms of just the, the turns that like we'll find as a 400 hurdle, you start to notice just when the turns are slightly different, if they're slightly wider, slightly more narrow. And I think that one is honestly pretty perfect for me. So I think I was expecting to be like right on, but I had to kind of reach for that hurdle. So if I didn't have to reach, I feel like that could be some improvement there, but mm -hmm. um I really don't know. I think, you know, I'm just hoping my coach has the answers and following his lead. Brilliant, brilliant. And I yeah. watched the art, an interview you did where you said um, that your word for the year was compete. And um, we talk about, like, when you look at the root of the word compete, it means, like, come together to seek. That's actually what it means. So um, I don't even know if you know that, or you probably do, but um it's something about like the rivalry with Sydney like do you feel like that even though you know you guys are rivals that it, it does kind of help you kind of get to another level like does it feed your own kind of drive and in, in a performance boosting way or you know are we you're already doing it anyways like you guys are gonna think I'm I think people always think I'm crazy and I don't tell people this but like <laughs> I like envision the entire year like how it's gonna play out like what can go wrong what can do this and that's how I come up with those words and that's like something like I kind of always kind of been in my life that been that type of person kind of just follows like that energy and that path that just drives me forward and for mm -hmm. me this is really crazy, but I had the vision of both of us coming over over the 10th hurdle at pretty much the same time. And it was just like, you have to, and that's where that thought that of compete came from. It's just like compete to the very end, to the, to the line. Like, mm -hmm. don't, don't give up. You're going to have to fight to the finish line. So, and that just, you, that just meant yeah. so much on a crazier level that I even thought possible, because, really? you know, I was just thinking about the race, but it literally played out that way the entire year on so many different aspects, like we were talking about even racial aspects. And mm. it was just like this idea of never giving up and mm. finishing fully um, and seeing something through. So that's what I meant when I, that's where that word came from. And that's kind of how I do it every year. I kind of think about mm -hmm. it. And a lot of times it's kind of crazy enough. It, like these visions kind of come true, <laughs> but you know, yeah. just, on a grander lever than I even knew. Yeah, that was yeah. That's amazing. so incredible. Okay, I need you to read my palm after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like tell my I, sister. I'm wondering also, just like, huh? I like tell my sister. I'm like, I can see the future. Like, people don't believe me. She's the only one that believes me. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna call you after this. I'm calling you. I need to know some things. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. Um, I just you're talking about this word. I'm supposed to ask you one more question, but I actually have 
too. I'm gonna do it fast. Um, <laughs> your word in 2016. What I saw was you literally attacked every single hurdle in 2016. What was your word then? Man, I, I, it actually was something on that line. Oh, man, I don't remember. It was something on you that line. You killed it. You were literally like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and became Olympic. Oh, actually, my, no, it wasn't. You know what my word was, and this is crazy, but my, my word for 2016 was yes. Yeah, mm. anything that worked for track and field, even if I agree with it or not, I was going to say yes. And that's, that's mm. literally, that was my word. My word was yes. Like, you want me to do this? Yes. Is this, you want me to come move this crazy? Like, yes. That was my answer was yes. <laughs> for track and field only. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I can see that in that attacking those hurdles. Just every last one of those was literally just an attack. If you guys go back and watch that 2016 race with the Phila in the women's 400 hurdles, she literally said yes to every last one of those hurdles yeah. coming up again. Yeah, yeah. we should post all your races. Because, uh, just a really quick like that year like I went through like so many coaches it was just like if it wasn't working it was no and if it was working yes so it was just like a crazy year to come off of two bad years and track and field since and then to, to win an Olympic gold and yeah, that amazing. just sounds like a dream come true to be Olympic champion world champion world record holder like the expectation would be that like you're set you're like a legend now like you are anyways but I'm just like you know what the reality when you when I hear you're like oh and I'm still getting no from contracts and sponsorship opportunities it's just like that can't be the reality and are you saying that even after all of that it is still a reality that you know you're not getting the platform and the visibility that like anyone <laughs> should have for with your success. I think, you know, it definitely is turning around. I think more people are taking notice and more people are wanting to make change, which I definitely do notice. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's not quite where it needs to be at, by any means. So um, it's still definitely a fight that needs to take place. Um, but I do, I will say that I do see things somewhat coming around. I just hope it continues for generations after me. Like, I don't want to just say, even if you do say yes to me, I think real changes need to be made going forward. Um, I can't just yeah. say yes to you and then the, the next time it's the same situation. Like, so, until we see that change being happening, um, I remember Kendall Ellis, I just saw something of her talking about how difficult it was for her to get a contract. Um, 400 meter runner, um, number one. I think she has yeah. the collegiate record, maybe indoor record, and and it'd be difficult for her to get a um, contract. Like that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we need to see those true changes being made systematically. Mm -hmm. I 100% yeah. agree with you. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> so I'm gonna ask you just two more questions. I swear. Um, <laughs> we love doing this like rapid <laughs> at the end. No, I love you. I'll call you <laughs> <laughs> with everything that you know we've talked about today and you know in our previous podcast we've, we've obviously noted you know the problems of uh, appearance being can't not being able to or the problem of appearance being how women are able to be marketed and how we're able to make money um which is ridiculous but one of the things I kind of want to ask you is, does this make you think at all about other things that you'd like to also be doing that you also want to share during your career that you can basically create a platform for people to look at now as you transition off the track when that does happen? Because that is something that will happen, whether it happens in four years, eight years, you know, 10 years, it is something that will happen. And what are those interests that you have? 
mean, right now, definitely these, this, <laughs> I don't even know what to say, racial, I don't even know what word to use to, to, um, to describe. I definitely want to put my voice, I think my main goal right now is to just put my voice out there more and to, to have my story be told to, I think that we have this idea that if you're on top, like everything is perfect and mm -hmm. your, your life must be great. And that's just so not the case. And just talking to other athletes, men and women, I, I see that. I'm like, what? I thought you had this crazy, um, contract or whatever maybe not even referring to their contracts but and then just being like they're looking at me like no did you did you really think that i'm like yeah because you're you know three times world champion like and yeah. and so i think we have to be, yeah. Yeah. yeah get over that perception of like what we think and stop um so i definitely want to just put our voice put my voice out there more i think that's my immediate kind of goal um and just um be for change so that's definitely mm -hmm. the goal I wouldn't mind, but like, and I don't want to go on about appearance, but you like kind of look like a model to me. Like, do you ever do any modeling? <laughs> well, I, I am like well, fashion things like that. Yeah, I, I have in the past. I'm actually signed with Ford, um, okay. so so some things should be coming up with that, you know. So that's exciting. Definitely a new change in life. I'll be going to into New York, um, like in a yeah. week or so, and do some things with them. So that'll be fun. Good. Minor, minor detail. And I remember talking to you, you know, you're, you are into fashion, you are into fashion design. Um, and so I, I look forward to, you know, whatever comes up, you know, with that in the future. Yeah. Um, but, I have a sidebar, Delilah's Instagram, she has the cutest outfits. You guys gotta go look if you like oh, fashion. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> have, yeah. Fashion yeah. inspiration. Style me, please. I need you to Same. style me. <laughs> oh, no, it's so funny. I get that from Georgia all the time. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, well, you know, we thank you for your time so much, but, you know, we want to let you know the purpose of Keeping Track podcast is to better tell the stories of women in sport. You know, we are completely underrepresented in so many facts and so many arenas. Um, what are some parts of your story? And I know we asked you a lot of questions that, doesn't get asked that you would like to share with our audience oh man <laughs> you know and i think you know for one let me just say i really do love you guys this podcast i'm yeah. pretty sure i've watched listened to every single episode so i've oh, been a fan a true oh true gosh. fan oh, um and so i think you know you guys do an amazing job of just getting these our stories out there so congrats to all of you for just doing that and giving us that pl platform um for my own story i think well, it gets asked sometimes, but I don't think people realize how much I've truly struggled and how much what this crazy journey has looked like. Um, I never won like NCAA, um, NCAA title. I came out to California. You know what, crazy enough, I just, um, there was this one instance where in 2012, where I had to, I was, I did a commercial. I will audition for a commercial and they asked me like in the commercial it was for the Olympics. They were like, you have to sign that you are not going to make the team. And for me that like really, and I'm like, man, I can't sign this. Like I'm, I'm running trials in a week. And I was like, you know what, you know, you're not going to make it like, but it kind of just put things into perspective of me not reaching my goals. And that really changed um, my outlook on life, my mental health and just me really focusing on track. 
and just making those necessary changes. And crazy enough, I got the commercial and that really jump-started my professional career because I had a little change in the pocket to be able to afford to live in California. Um, yeah. So it's just like, it was like a crazy kind of, you know, you know, and one did thing you make the team? Did you make I the team? No, I didn't make the team in 12. Wow, and then you won in 2016. Yeah, and then won wow. in 16, so. I think I was 50th in the Olympic trials in 2012. Wow. Whoa. Or something, or something wow. crazy like that. And then <laughs> first. So it, it was just like a crazy turning of events that I don't think our true story, my true story kind of gets out there as much as they kind of glorify, which I, I love that they glorify the accomplishments, but it's been a long, long journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what was it like you know you talk about your mental approach to like 2012 or like kind of knowing okay where I'm at and then being able to like sh like grow so much in four years that you're able to take the Olympic title not just like make the team and be like oh I have to learn how to do this and like you actually took it and like took the win as well was it were you just a different athlete in those four years I think or? it was just the mind change I think when I was you know, going through college, when you're having your downfalls, I think you take it as, oh, you don't want to do it anymore. And I think I had this attitude of, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. This is why I'm not doing good in track and field. And it's just like, in that moment, it just put into perspective for me that that wasn't the case at all. And I was mm -hmm. upset or with running because I wasn't where I wanted to be. And it's like making mm -hmm. that connection of, it's not that you don't want to do it. You're just not where you want to be. And that, it's not, that's so simple and so small, but it really changed the projection of where I wanted to go and the amount of energy I was willing to put in to get there. We're so inspired by your story. Um, we definitely want to see you on the Wheaties box next year. Um, <laughs> I want an so, autograph. I want an autograph <laughs> and a poster. I yeah. want to see. I want to. Well, I want to see you and wherever you want to be. I want to see whatever you're putting well, out forward. You. I want to see the products <laughs> and the line that you do. I want to see your business thrive. I want to yeah, see the little. Yeah, I appreciate it. I really do appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks for talking awesome. to us, and we're rooting for you next year. And yeah, hopefully. We'll see you back on that podium, Tokyo 2021. Yes. Woohoo! Thank you so much for keeping We'll be on the team together. Let's help, yeah. right, Molly? Yes, fingers crossed. <laughs> I'll have to go over and interview you guys after. <laughs> All right. Thanks to Lila. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. 
And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.